well, 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 well. You are listening to the Inspired Minds Podcast. My name is Jeff Watson. Guess what? I'm your gracious and grateful host. It's been a minute since I've been doing this with my dear friend, Mr. Michael Lee Simpson, because uh, the holidays, Thanksgiving, it tends to kind of take up a lot of time. Um, He has been incredibly busy working on this fantastic article for uh, a big magazine called Entertainment Weekly. And uh, I'm very proud of my friend. It is about Nicolas Cage, and it is all Cage all the time. My goodness. Um, I uh, my, my little excuse is that I'm almost done with the graduation of my master's in psychology. And it is, uh, it's weird. It's weird that I'm actually going to be done with this thing. It's like, I don't know. F. Scott Fitzgerald once said that there were no second acts in America, and I think he's full of shit, ladies and gentlemen. I've had three. I've had musician, I've had record company guy, worker, and uh, now therapist, and perhaps even for a podcaster, although everyone's got a podcast now. Everybody's got a podcast these days, but nobody has the talent that I got on mine, at least. Not the big names. (laughs) What the fuck am I talking about? Um, I continue to have a blast doing these kinds of things. So, uh, with that in mind, I'm going to get right into it with the next guest, uh, a fabulous woman, my goodness, by the name of Mara Reinstein. She's a film critic, uh, film nerd, my goodness, uh, writes for Us Weekly, uh, Rotten Tomatoes, uh, contributor, writes for Parade, Emmy, Vulture, Architectural Digest. How cool is that? Uh, the ringer just... This lady apparently is watches about 300 new films a year. 300. I can't pull that off, but that's why I don't get paid to uh, write about films because I don't watch a lot of them. But we did go through so many. This was a film dork episode for sure. We went through so many different weird films, including, and of course, I made a list. Uh, Out of the Gate, Chariots of Fire, 1980. Movie with a bunch of guys running. How about that? Uh, Saturn 3, a really terrible movie, uh, sci-fi horror movie with Farrah Fawcett back in the 80s. The Mighty Michael J. Fox, just in general. Dirty Dancing. Uh, There's this movie called Danny DeVito's Other People's Money that literally nobody knows except us. And perhaps Danny DeVito, he may have even forgotten it. Um, We talked about At Close Range, a great movie with, uh, come on... I don't know. Oh, Sean Penn and uh, some other guy. I can't remember right now. Last Emperor, Last Temptation of Christ, and Cocktail, the weird, weird Tom Cruise movie where it had the fantastic tagline, which is, when he reigns, or sorry, I got it wrong. It's when he pours, he reigns. Huh? Somebody had better got gotten a raise for that one. That one was pretty good. Um, she's also a host on the Sound and Vision uh, Alan Light co-hosted, and Mark Goodman co-hosted, I should say, radio show called Debatable, uh, on the Debatable show. Boy, I am just tongue-twisted out right now. My goodness. Um, but she's also, she was an on-set journalist for the show Survivor, which meant she got to hang out at all the locations. She became super good friends with Jeff Probst, and uh, it was an amazing conversation as well. And as always, I truly hope that you enjoyed this as much as I did making it. I'm going to go watch Saturn 3 again. Or I'm going to watch Chariots of Fire. That was the theme song. No one knows what I'm talking about. Have a wonderful day, night, evening, 4 a.m., wherever you are, and take care of yourself. Bye. Well, hello there once again, ladies and gentlemen of the Inspired Minds Dazzled Throng. Please 
Welcome, Mara Reinstein. Is it Mara or Mara? I should have asked. Thank you for asking. It's Welcome. my number one pet peeve in life. I wish my parents named me Jane. It's Mara. Mara. Okay. Well, Thank I, got you. It, I got it right the first time. Yeah, you did. And the last want, name too. I wanted to respect that as well. No, thank I appreciate that. I, I, I work hard. So the way that I do these shows is uh, we're going to get into a lot about your writing and a lot about your perspectives. There's some really interesting things that you've said I want to call out, but I start the show the exact same way to every single person I interview, and that is the following question. When you were young, what was the first thing that you can remember that truly lit you up, that inspired you as a kid? What is it, a song or a book or a poem or a movie? Go. I, so I began seeing movies from an extremely inappropriately young age because my Dad did not want to babysit me and my twin brother. So he took us to the movies in hopes that we would just be quiet and look at the screen. So a lot of movies made me, like my jaw drop. I'm thinking like when I was a really small child, even in 1982, I saw Tootsie and E.T. in the theater and just Uh. even like I wasn't even in grade school. I just like understood. I mean, Tootsie is a very nuanced screenplay, but I remember thinking, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen. And E.T. being like, this is the scariest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> but the piece of entertainment, and I've said this many times, sorry, I'm not being original, that blew my mind was nine years old and going to the movies and seeing the movie Back to the Future. Yeah. And, and I remember coming, my dad took me to that too, me and my best friend. And I remember coming home and like running up the stairs and telling my mom about this movie and just like, just being like, you would not believe how great this movie is. Oh my God. And then this happens and it's so clever. And there's a twin pine mall and he knocks over a pine and it's one. And I was only like eight, nine years old when it came out, but I I never seen a movie that just made my brain explode like that. And I saw, I wound up seeing it three times in a movie theater, which yeah, very, I'm, I'm pretty sure very few nine-year-olds were like begging their parents to go back and see this wasn't like Bambi or Snow White you know so uh yeah I to me I I there were pockets of things that I really enjoyed certain books certain tv shows but just being so wowed by by Robert Zemeckis's uh Back to the Future in 1985 still my favorite movies if not my favorite movie today certainly the one I've seen the most I believe Dirty Dancing apparently is also up there for you Dirty Dancing. I love Dirty Dancing because I'm a, you know, a Jewish girl who used to have a big nose like Jennifer Grey. But <laughs> it did not capture my imagination like Back to the Future is. And the other thing is, I, I saw Dirty Dancing late. Um, a lot of my friends saw it before I did, and it was a word of mouth kind of thing. Dirty Dancing was a sleeper even in the box office. Back to the Future. I remember hearing about its existence that weekend. Um, because I saw that Michael J. Fox, who I loved on Family Ties, was in a new yeah. movie. And I remember going downstairs and asking my dad, I, I want to see this movie today. Please take me. <laughs> okay, yep. quick, uh, quick, quick Michael J. Fox trivia, ladies and gentlemen. First movie that he was in, at least a big release. Go. That was a big release. Um, like, what was it? Like, Skate Town, USA? Class of 1984. Oh, class of 84. Um, that was, I don't think that was a theatrical. I bl- was that a theatrical or did that run on NBC? No, that movie did not run on NBC. That was with, uh, that was like the punk rock movie where 
uh, somebody gets stabbed. It's like a bad school and the evil punk rock kids. It was like it was like in the future. It was like Michael J. Michael J. Fox was in a NBC movie with Nancy McCann in the very early 80s that involved something like a class competition also. Can we just do the entire episode on Michael J. Fox? I would be happy. You have no idea how happy I would be to do a whole episode on Michael J. Fox. (laughs) One of my my favorite interviews, obviously. And just like a a hero, a hero of mine. And, And real quick, I'm sure the audience is already tuned out at this point. But um, I'm so sorry. Um, Except for the Michael J. Fox fans. I look, I absolutely love, but here's the funny thing. On the way over here today, I don't know if you remember Mojo Nixon, Elvis is Everywhere song from back in the no. day. Uh, I'm not like a cool like music person. All right. Uh, there's a great line where it's like this really funny song, and it's like 1985, and he says, El- uh, it's like like a kind of a joke song, but he goes, um, he's like, everyone's got Elvis in a mom, your mom, and this guy, the postman, Elvis is in everybody. And he stops and he says, the only person that doesn't have Elvis in them is Michael J. Fox. <laughs> anyway, whatever. Um, so but, and I got to go back for a second because my father also took me to very inappropriate films. So I wanted to call this out. He took me yes. to see 48 Hours when I was like 10. And my father's that's, a Christian. Okay, I'm sorry. That's nothing. I saw, I saw Chariots of Fire when I was four. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> seeing 48 Hours when you're 10 by 10, I was already going to rated our movies by myself. You gotta do better than that, Jeff. Okay, if we're gonna have a conversation, if we're gonna like take compare notes here, mm-mm. Saturn Three apparently was also on that hit list. Saturn Three, I am impressed by this research. Saturn Three, an extremely inappropriate yep. sci-fi like yep. porn movie with yep. Lee Majors and Farrah Fawcett Farrah came Fawcett. out. In 79, I was three years old. Three? I don't even think I knew how to tie my shoes yet. And my dad took me and my brother to see Saturn 3. And I'm sure he bribed us by saying, if you be quiet, I'll take you to get ice cream after. Your dad's kind of like the most awesome guy in the world, as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) He would would love to hear that. He little did he know that this impressionable three-year-old girl was later on being interviewed about this. Well, yes, exactly. And honestly, this is why I like asking the question in the beginning. When anyway, because it's always a through line every single time, right? It's yes. I got lit up by listening. My story is I got lit up by listening to Boston at five years old. More than a feeling, which by the way was at a magic show at a library. That's a whole other story. But I, I love listen, that song. Oh my god, it's so wonderful! And every time it's I such hear a cool it, I'm song. Like, when I hear the intro, I'm like, I am five years old in a library right now seeing a magician. So how do you feel, how do you feel about the Boston song Amanda, the power ballad of no, 1986? No. 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 I, I love Amanda. Ugh. I have terrible music taste. Let the world know. Apparently. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, like, I digress. You like Lady Gaga. We'll, we'll talk about that later. But Okay. Um look, uh, right. So it's a through line, right? So for me, yes. it was I heard a song, I'm a musician 20 years later. Or it's, I've talked to so many people with this exact question, and it's incredible. You know, a producer sometimes says, I really wanted to put things together, and I was curious what a producer was and what, you know, what Robert Evans did. So as even a therapist, I love watching that kind of creative arc, the narrative. It that is, that is fascinating. Out. It really is. I feel like, you know, I, I don't know. No, it is. It is. It's, I, I'm, I'm, I was about to like do a self-deprecating like, oh, it's nothing, but it's not nothing. It's no. something. You're right. No. So it, it, it is an, an interesting through line for sure. 
it is an inflection moment, but I will go on because Please. I, have so many, I have so many things to talk to you about. First of all, I do want to, okay. First of all, when you started this whole thing, I know that you won a writing contest in second grade. But my favorite, hold on, hold on. Sorry. This is the best part. This is the best part. My reward yeah. is a king size Hershey bar. I equated quality writing with chocolate. Chocolate. I still do. Of course. Well, first of all, I know what article you now read because I've only said that one time in public, <laughs> but it is a true story. Um, I, yeah, I had no idea I was a good writer until second grade. And there was a contest to write an essay about what we liked about the school. And my teacher's name was Mrs. Hirsch. And she said, I will give you uh, anyone who, if they, if the class win, if the winner from the grade comes from this class, I will give you an enormous Hershey bar. And that was like, <laughs> ding, ding, ding. And I wrote something and it won chocolate done. <laughs> and the best part is probably now it's like a Pavlov dog reaction where you like write a story and you're like chocolate, chocolate. Um, it actually, I mean, it's very strange how little my life has changed since the <laughs> mid 1980s. Now that I'm doing this podcast, but no, no, please put me at a front of a laptop eating a chocolate bar watching Back to the Future. I'm the happiest person you've ever seen. So really, <laughs> no, nothing is nothing has changed since the 80s. <laughs> totally good. Uh, wow, that's fantastic. Next, uh, and here's here we go. So you carried on, and yes. you, and so there was this uh, Detroit News had this section without parental guidance, which, by the way, that, I think is adorable. It's like, don't tell mom and dad. Which I think it great. was called WPG with an asterisk and on, on a small type. It said without parental guidance. But yes. So, so cute. And so yeah. you wrote a review of, quote, a lame Danny DeVito comedy and got the gig. Of course, the question is, what, what was the movie? It was called Other People's Money. And I, I swear to God, I don't think oh. I've seen it since that since that one time when I saw it in oh, high school. Oh yeah. my God. This is why I like doing these shows. Cause I can look up research right now. Like a moment. It came out in 91. Other people's money. Here we go. Let's see what happened. 1991. Absolutely. Um, what do we have here? Gregory Peck was in this movie. Really? I'm serious. That's what it tells you. Gregory... Hang on. Huh? I really I haven't seen fasc... it. This is fascinating for the entire audience, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. It says here that he was in the movie. I have no idea. I guess you didn't put that in your review. No, I, I don't think I even knew who Gregory Peck was when I was 15. Um, oh, but wow. it was I it was just, yeah, write, write a um, sample review and I got picked to be a critic. And then there was like a more formal, that was like a one-off. And then they had another contest where if you do, if you do it, you'll be a regular critic. Um, for that, I did. I reviewed Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie uh-huh. with Christy Swanson and, and Luke Perry, R- R.I.P., my favorite. And that I won that with three other critics, and they liked what I did. And from there, the managing editor of the Detroit News asked if I would spend the summer in high school in between junior and senior year writing for the feature section of the Troy News, not even as an intern, as an employee, mm. uh, as a yes. summer employee. It changed my life. It, yeah. it was still the most important thing that's ever happened in my career. I joked in 93 that I peaked when I was 17. I, I, don't, <laughs> I, I honestly th- still agree to be 17 and working downtown and a major uh. newspaper when people still read newspapers uh. was unbelievably exciting. I got to go to concerts and movies and shows and 
work alongside like these amazing journalists who, who a couple of them I'm still tight with. A lot of them have gone on to do great things. My closest friend at the Detroit News that summer went on to write for the West Wing. So what? yeah, no joke, no joke. So it was a, a very, very influential part of my career. I, I had to write on deadline. I had to be quick. I had to be funny and no drama. No one wanted my 17-year-old drama at the time. So that changed my life more than anything. Incredible. I absolutely love yeah. that. Um, I got to go backwards also, sorry for a heartbeat, on the E.T. thing. I just got to tell you a quick thing. It's my favorite E.T. story ever. Yes. The only one that I have. Um, so I was watching the reissue, I think it was, maybe it was 89 or something. They did it in the theaters. And there was, I'll never forget this. There's a guy in front of me. And when E.T. goes over the moon with Elliot and, you know, we're through the moon thing, the guy in front of me goes, yeah, right. And I thought to myself, you've bought every single thing before that moment. Right. Like you were, you were right. in Reese's pieces and a fucking alien. Like I'm good, but the most majestic part of the movie. Yeah. Right. <laughs> My favorite thing ever. Um, so I understand that uh, you watch a lot of movies and I saw something that you read about or watch about 300 movies a year. Uh, uh, yeah. That sounds about right. For sure. It's only one part of my job, believe it or not, is watching those 300 movies. I do. I have to do a little bit of everything because I'm a full-time freelance writer at this point. But yes, yes. Yeah. How do you do that? <laughs> how do I become a free... How, how, how no, do I write? No, no. Well, I, you know, I guess what I'm asking is how do you watch 300 movies and write a lot of amazing articles and this and that and podcast and you're on the red carpet like 90,000 times a year apparently. So how do you do it? Actually, I haven't been on a red carpet, covering a red carpet in, in about 20 years. Um, oh, well. I, I'm, I'm, yeah, sorry. Just to be uh, clear, that is a that is a job that is not befitting my personality skill set of sitting on a, standing on a red carpet. Yeah, but um, how do I – I don't know. It, it, there are hours in the day. It helps that a, a lot of these movies are sent to me so I can watch them from home. The pandemic change that a lot where you can just press play on a laptop, you know, not have to leave the apartment. But I saw two, it's, we're recording this on a Wednesday. I saw two on Monday and one yesterday. So I'm already, I've done three this week. I'm going on vacation tomorrow, but, and then I got the next one is Tuesday after I come back. So, wow. and then film festivals, forget it. Film festivals, you're, you're easily seeing four or five a day. Oh yeah. I've been out to South by Southwest for the music thing, but I, I know the film thing over there too. It's amazing, actually. It um, is, and, it's, and South by probably has the least amount of movies in terms of festivals. It's not because it's because it does music and so much else. True, it's not film centered like um, like a Toronto or a Telluride. Yeah, yeah. I, I just to be in that. Oh, here's a here's something that might go somewhere. When you're in those situations, is it kind of almost intoxicating? Like just oh, film there and a movie there, and there's all this stuff going on. Because that's yes. how it was for me when I was at South by for the music stuff. It is. You sort of get in a zone. It's weird. Like if one, sometimes I don't even like have the motivation to leave my apartment to see one movie a day. But in the film festival world, you get in this mindset where 
nothing else in the world is important. Like they can, like they, they're, they're killing the guy from Al Qaeda. It doesn't matter because the new Noah not Bombac movie is premiering tonight. And why isn't all of Twitter talking about it? Like you get, you become in this, you get in this very weird vacuum where you are all film all the time. You don't sleep. You don't eat. You're just yeah. like, what's the next movie? So yeah. um, absolutely. Absolutely. And actually you're ready for the greatest segue in history. Go, please. Here we go. It's pretty good. You can steal this one, actually. Just at least the talent involved for this next second, which is, so yeah, and you're right. When you're in those areas, you're just kind of like locked in as like an island. So talk about Jeff Probst. Jeff Probst, who I don't think he's written a movie called Finder's Fee. I watched it on an airplane. Um, Yeah, and he directed it and wrote it. A very few people saw it. My friend and I, on the way to one of the Survivor locations, watched it. Jeff Probst. Yeah, so... I have really, I've had a really fun career. Um, obviously, I'm not talking about it in the past tense, but so past participle, whatever. But <laughs> one of the crazy things that I have done in my career is that I've gone on location to yeah. six to the sets of 16 different survivors. Um, the article that I know you're that you read is even like I've gotten on more since then. It only stopped because of the pandemic. The pandemic affected me that affected me more than anything else was it, it, it broke my heart that they stopped doing those press visits um yes. they used to invite a handful of press really the same group i very close with them mm-hmm. and we would go out with jeff on the airplane out to the location from los angeles and stay there for a good week and we would run the challenges uh, as a dress rehearsal before yeah. the contestants did. We would see, we would sit in on tribal council. It's all off camera. Wow. Um, you never see us. You would never know that we're there, but we're there and interviewing the contestants. And I have, you know, seen the world because yeah. of Mark Burnett and, and Jeff Probst and sure. CBS. And if, and of all the, I've got, like I said, I've had a pretty great career, but that's, probably got to be my the number one and just who goes to Palau twice before they're 30 like that doesn't happen it doesn't happen so I, I like the fact that I you know I've seen elephants roam next to my tent in Gabon in Africa like just above and beyond like here let me sit down with Chris Pratt for 20 minutes like yeah. it's on another level the awesome amazing stuff to be a survivor, to be on a set of a TV show that you love. I've loved Survivor from the beginning. And to, to be see the world and to sort of like go outside your comfort zone in a lot of ways. And like I said, I, I did it 16 times. Wow. The show's been on for 42 seasons, mind wow. you. But yeah, 16 out of the 42. As, as for Jeff Probst, yeah. What you see is what you get. He... Um, my friend always jokes that he and I should like be on a reality show because we are, we would, we always bicker. We are very much like brother and sister. He always calls me negative Nancy. He was like, what did your parents do to you? Like, it's like you, it is not your typical quote unquote famous person when I'm dealing with him. But like, we always kind of rile each other up because he's very positive and very earnest Uh and always you know wants to do the right thing and cares about people and i don't and i you know, just so 
So, um, yeah, so we're always, we're always, you know, but said with love, said with love. We, we have course. a great deal of affection for each other, but yeah, we are very much Olive and I have a follow-up uh, statement and then a question. I'm like a journalist. Yes. Here we go. Statement is, I have my Jeff Probe story. Why do you ask? Because I was on a little show called VH1's Rock and Roll Jeopardy. About- no. Boom. You yeah, lived my dream. That's like my bucket list. Like my last bucket list thing is to be on any form of Jeopardy. But yeah, of Boom. course, Jeff used to host it. Right. Exactly. Pre-Survivor, which I remember yes. vividly because he was like a super nice guy. Yeah. Um, I first round, by the way, not that you asked, but I'm sure you're curious now. First round, I did okay. Second round, I killed it. Suddenly, because I was kind of like Cindy Brady'd out, like in the Brady Bunch when she was on TV. Totally. That time, which, right. I hear you. Yeah. yeah. You know. So, but then suddenly I'm like, I'm killing it. I'm like daily double, boom. And I'm answering shit like uh, Dead or Alive, you know, spin me right round. Right. And I'm answering right. like Nirvana, everything. I'm killing it. And then the producers come over to me and they're like, after the second round, they're like, you're the guy, you're the guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> I won't the audience cheered for me for getting something. So at any rate, then we get to the third, you know, the final Jeopardy. The category was 80 soundtracks. So I'm all in. I'm like an idiot. I'm yeah. like, like, I want to make $40,000. I won't yeah. go, go. go into detail. Go. Tell it? me the clue right now. Tell me the clue right get now. It. No one's ever going to get it. So it was this, I have to think about it, actually. This singer had two number one hits with co-singers from 80s films. Um, Ann Wilson. Nope. Uh, the answer, the answer I gave was Joe Cocker because I was thinking Love Lick This Up Will Read Along with Jennifer Warren. Jennifer Warnes. Warren. So it's probably Jennifer Warren's. And Dirty Dancing, your favorite movie, with yeah. Jennifer Warren's and Bill Medley, Time of My Life. The answer was Jennifer Warren's. I got it wrong. The other two people who were terrible got it. So instead of winning all the money, instead of getting second prize, which would have been a week in Jamaica or a week in Hawaii, I got the his and her DJ karaoke set. Bye-bye. I am so sorry. Jennifer Warren's is tough. I'll give you that. That's tough. Thank you. I appreciate your concern. Do you know what the other Ann Wilson song from the 80s was? Oh, Almost Paradise. No, that was one. What was the other one? Ann Wilson or Heart are we talking about? Yes. Wait, Ann Wilson solo or Heart? Which one? No, I'm telling you, Ann Wilson had two 80s duets in the 80s. One was Almost Paradise. What was the other right. one? Do you know? Oh, you got, oh, you got me. I'm going to fail. What do you got? Surrender to me from the movie Tequila Sunrise with Robin Zander from Cheap Trick. Next what? question. Yep. Are you fucking kidding me? I love Cheap no. Trick. I've never heard of that before. Yep. So it's called Surrender to Me. It was top 10 hit. 1989. For the Charter. record, I actually, funny yeah. to bring up that real quick. I This is the weirdest podcast ever. I love it. I was talking to uh, a woman named uh, Melina, and she is the head of Variety Editorial. But I ended uh-huh. up seeing Mike Reno to her from Almost Paradise on the show. There you go. Nice. I, lo- I do love Almost Paradise, but uh, you know, no, she had two. She had two. She had two duets in the eighties too. I swear that I could see forever. All right. Anyway, uh, moving on. This is going to be an interesting one, I think. So I so you had this line, or somebody did. You've been blurbed, blurbed in the advertising campaigns for Don't Look Back so or Don't Look Up uh, and a few others. Do you yeah. know the story about the famous blurb incident on the film At Close Range and the Siskel and Ebert thing? No, I remember At Close Range, but right. I do not know the story. And yes. I, you know what? I should really take that out of my bio because it's kind of an obnoxious thing. And I really kind of don't care anymore if I'm sorry. That was something... Well, that mattered to me a lot when I started out in the business uh, reviewing sure. movies, but not so much anymore. But go ahead. Tell me the story. 
of course, and I'm, I'm not going to focus on this, but I just pulled it out for the story, which I didn't think you maybe you would know. And that is that Siskel and Ebert famously wrote the, the review was whatever you do, don't go see this movie. Very simple. The and they confirmed it and see this movie. Uh-huh. Yeah. Dot, well, dot, you dot. know, they're supposed to ask permission. I yeah, always get asked permission before I'm blurbed. They're supposed to. Yeah, that didn't happen, obviously. That's so funny. <laughs> that is so funny. So sometimes good. I've been sometimes I've been blurbed <laughs> on a movie that I gave a mixed review to, but nothing as like flat out negative as that. Yeah, I, I was a publicist for quite a while and I know how to do that, you know. Like send your client, well, they said they had a great drum tone, <laughs> ignoring everything else. <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving on, I really want to talk about Sound and Vision, your uh, show on Sirius XM, uh, debatable with Alan Light and Mark fucking Goodman. That's well, okay. This is a really – so I don't know when this is going to be airing, honestly, Jeff. But Whenever you want. Debatable just got canceled. Uh, um, yeah. It's very heartbreaking. I did it for two years. Um it was an honor to share the air with Alan Light, who's this like iconic rock journalist, Mark Goodman. I grew up watching him on MTV, obviously one of the original VJs. Every time yep. Mark would say my name, I would just have like a second where I'm like, did Mark Goodman just say Mara Einstein? <laughs> like, what is happening? Like a sense so, memory. They, I know, like they are two amazing guys, so generous and nice and curious. And it really broke my heart. Um, uh, Sound and Vision was a show that I did every week with them where I would review all the movies and TV things and even like trailers, whatever, that had sort of a musical bent or had a musical star in it. Uh-huh. Um, but I believe, you know, I'm literally knocking on wood when I say this, Jeff, that it will, that part of the volume channel, what happened was the volume channel turned all digital. It got, part of it got kicked over to Faction, which I think uh. is channel 103. So I'm hoping that Sound and Vision will, you know, have a 2.0 version, but right now it's on hiatus, sad to say. Well, regardless, the, the name alone, Sound and Vision, I'm a big Bowie fan, so I thought that was kind yes. of cool. <laughs> I lit up like a Christmas tree when I saw that. I know, I know, I know, I know. So very few people even know that it's a Bowie reference, but yeah, <sighs> I know. I love doing it so much. It was just like such a, like a thrill and an honor for me to go into the serious studios. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. When I, when I saw Mark Goodman's name I, in San Jose, where I'm originally from, we were actually one of the few test markets for MTV. So the Mercury oh. News, yeah, so get this. Mercury News wrote an article about this new thing coming up. It's called MTV and it's in stereo. <laughs> like that was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and so but so it said it's gonna start, you know, X day and it's gonna start at X time. So I watched the very beginning because I was like, I want to see what this is. And I watched the rocket go up and then the buggles and wow. the car. So I lived with those people. And that was so influential for me as a kid. I was like, you know, 12 or 11 or something. Yeah, yeah. That was it for me. I was like, oh, Duran Duran, uh, you too, uh, you know, just checking them off. All, you know, I, I didn't get MTV, we didn't get MTV until I was in high school. Mark was already long gone, but my, we would go to my grandparents. My grandparents had cable and constantly, yeah, Nina and Alan Hunter and Martha and Mark and, and JJ. Um, three out of them are on Sirius on the eighties on a channel. And I listened to it a bunch of times, but they're great. And Mark, I love Mark Goodman. <laughs> and it's, it's crazy that I, I actually know him personally. Um, I, I would, 
dare I say almost as starstruck as him as I would as like any kind of like movie star because it's oh. always different when it's someone who you grew up as someone who was part of your childhood for sure. Yeah. yeah. And you feel like you know them already. Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed, it's I've, true. I've, I've worked with some celebrities before in the music world and you know, people walk up and they just think that they know you because you pour your, especially the artists, right? Like, and I'm, I'm, you know, they pour their heart and soul. Like Neil Young is a fantastic example. I used to work with him over at the old uh, label. And it was just kind of interesting seeing people come up to him and like I did it the first time. Because I don't dork out on anybody. I kept that on the DL my entire career. But when I met him, I was like, bah! <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, of um, course. Yeah, he was, uh, he was the big man. Um, I want to kind of talk also about, uh, speaking of uh, references to bands, List and Shout, your section, which Beatles, good work. Thank you. I love, a, I love a pun. I love a pun. I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> so what was cool, actually, I just, I just love your writing about film, and I can really tell that you're extremely passionate about it. And there were like four movies that I was just going to call out that you've written as far as the best, uh, of, I guess it was this year or last year, Andor. Last Night in Soho, West Side Story, Bombshell, Knives Out. All of them dead on. Um, yes, I really like Bombshell. I think because people, because it was Fox News, it, people were prejudiced against it, but I thought it was really well done. Um, all of those movies that you listed did make a top 10 list of mine. Uh-huh. I am, I'm definitely not a cinephile. Um, I'm definitely more of like mainstream people's movie critic. I, a lot, like a lot of the critics darlings like Roma I'm just listing some recent ones like Roma and Power of the Dog I yeah. just I, I feel like they're so pretentious and <laughs> yeah. you just like sleep right through them so um <laughs> yeah I call it as I say it no no sacred cows uh <laughs> are off limits no, here no 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 it's, there's so many like the drive my car like so many like these I mean I get it it's like it's cool to say oh I love this three and a half hour foreign language movie. Like congrats. <laughs> congrats on being so smart that you stayed awake and read the subtitles. I don't know. I, I was, it was lost on me. Not but, I mean, listen, you look, it's so funny. Yesterday I was, um, there was like a Twitter thread on the best movies from 1987. And okay. it's a, uh, like a lot people were chiming in on their favorites. Like the list goes on forever on 87 broadcast news. And oh. again, dirty dancing and princess bride, blah, blah, blah. Nobody listed the movie that actually won the Oscar for Best Picture, which was The Last Emperor, uh, the Bernardo Bertolucci oh. movie. And and it, because no one watched it, it's a, the, a movie like A Prince's Bride yeah. will get has will stand the test of time. It'll be remembered forever. It got nominated for one Oscar in the sound category, in the score category, and so. You know, forget, so sometimes, like, I feel like these quote-unquote critics, darlings movies just are complete shit. So, right? I, like, I'm sorry. It's true. Like, just, 10, years, just... 10 years from now, who's going to be talking about Nomadland? Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> Nomadland, you're right. <laughs> I dare you to name one scene from Nomadland. It won Best Actress and Best Picture. I love the Oscars. I love the Oscars. But come yeah. on. I know. <laughs> you're talking yeah. about that. Good call. And by the way, you're right. It, it's interesting that people have totally forgotten about a fucking Scorsese film that won Best Picture. Because the second you said Last Emperor, I was like, right. That wasn't a Scorsese movie. Was it? Was it Spielberg? 
No, Bernardo Bertolucci was the oh, last Bertolucci. You're thinking You're thinking of Empire of the Sun. Oh, which was Spielberg. That's a- yeah. Oh, yeah. but but didn't Scorsese also do some like Buddhist thing? I think he did. Um, 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 he will come the last temptation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did come down in the nineties, which nobody saw. No, nobody. I, I, to your point. Yeah, absolutely to your point. And by the way, real quickly here before I dive out into something else, Marcel the shell with the shoes on. I didn't see it. I heard it was good. Oh my god, it's not good. It's brilliant. It's wow. absolutely brilliant because it talks about grief and loss. I, oh, seriously, I cried twice. Guess the last time I cried in a movie, E.T., for God's sake. Wow. I do not cry. Magical. Wow. I, I got to check it. I didn't review it. And these days oh. I'm so pressed for time that I, I really don't see movies that I don't review unless it's like Bullet Train, which I just saw. But um, uh, yeah, I got it. It'll come on screening uh, and um, streamer and I'll see it. it. It will change your view of grief, perhaps. It did for me. Wow. Okay. It's All right. You sold me. Wonderful. Um, I guess real quick before we uh, get on to one more last thing or two more last things, bullet train. Give me a, give me a blurb. <laughs> uh, listen, I love Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt and I both went to the University of Missouri. I have oh. like affection for him on many. I've known about Brad Pitt has been on my radar. More, like I feel like longer than anybody else because we both went to Mizzou, not at the same time, but still he was a big deal even in the early nineties of Mizzou. But what was he? I mean, does he need the money that band that needs to take bullet train? Like it, it, it's a movie that should have been a lot better than it actually is. It's, it's a mess. It's a mess. That movie. I it's, mean, I, yeah, the pun is off the rails, but it, it, it does. It goes literally off the rails. Off the rails. You know, my favorite yeah. blurb in history, but not a blurb, I guess, but a tagline. Uh, if best one ever for the uh, Tom Cruise film cocktail with Ryan Brown, the, yeah. the absolutely genius tagline was when he pours, he rains. Right, right. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> I wish Tom Cruise would do an interview just about cocktail and only cocktail. I mean, the fact that like, I learned how to do all that shit. I mean, like, I get it. Like, you're the, you're the, you know, you can hang on the side of flying planes and you can jump off motorcycles right. and stuff. I know. But, but man, that was impressive. What cocktail? Yeah, it was just like the way he was flipping cups around and doing the whole thing. Behind awesome. the back. I love that when Brian Brown dies and he writes him the letter and he's like, my Jairus Brian, you know what you do. <laughs> That's right. It's a suicide note. <laughs> Brian Brown, what a master of disaster. So we're going to do a couple more yeah. things here. Here's where we get a little heady. Um, most unifying movie that you can think of to find out how you will. The, sorry, say that again. Most unifying movie. Unifying people unifying. that everyone loved. Nope, people that brings people together, perhaps, or seeing a film in a theater where everyone's screaming and laughing. I'm sure there was an experience there somewhere. We're not. It's hard. I don't see move. I don't see movies with regular people. I'm going to be honest. I don't. I see critic screenings. I see very few uh, movies with paying customers anymore. Um, so I, I, you know, I, that's all right. I don't really, I don't really know how to answer that question. I mean, I could go back to, you know, way back to like, you know, b- being a teenager and something like Jurassic Park and, and oh. seeing like the dinosaurs and just kind of people marveling at the screen. And I remember 
the, the movie, the original Batman in 89 with Tim Burton and just the line around the block and just everyone wanting to see this kind of new superhero movie, this really cool movie directed by Tim Burton. So there are those kinds of movies that everyone just sort of has such a curiosity to that transcends, but God, movies are so divisive now. You uh, even, I, I guess, I mean, listen, Top Gun Maverick will go, speaking of Tom Cruise, I, I, many of my friends, including my parents, reached out to me after seeing Top Gun and raved about it and were so happy about seeing this movie that reminded them of their childhoods and yet was still really well done and they could take their kids to and Tom Cruise still looks great in it. And you saw it did like a billion dollars at the box office. And so again, it will not get nominated for Oscars, at least nothing that's not in the technical categories. But I think when the book is written on what movie brought back people from the pandemic of two years, it's going to be top gun. Ah, that's it. You're right. Yeah. You're right. That's the answer to the so there, question. There's your answer. Yeah. That's absolutely the answer. You're absolutely it right. Is. It is. And also, also to people lining up, because that's a community, clearly. Right, like people, yes. you know, line up for Star Wars and line up for this Harry Potter. You, it doesn't it do it anymore because you buy tickets online, and there's yeah. so many multiplexes that that that, that you know. I I when I I grew up in Farmington Hills, Michigan, and there were two movie theaters: the Old Orchard and the Americana West. They had only like four movies each. You had to stand in line and buy a ticket, and you would see these lines, and there was no way out of not standing in that line and getting that ticket and hoping that. It, no one put up the piece of paper at the box office that sold out, you know, right, like, right. so all those things that you kind of, you, that it got lost in the digital age. It makes me a little sad. A thousand percent. And quite frankly, my little thing is I, I talked to a lot of people on the show about this, that theaters, I have a funny feeling are going to go the way of record stores, meaning a, an, a, a unique experience. You can, you know, buy vinyl. There's a $10,000 Lou Reed record way up on the, up on the shelf. <laughs> and, but that's it. I honestly believe that because, you know, obviously the theaters are doing whatever they can to get the butts in the seats. I've seen marketing that says, see it in the theaters the way it's supposed to be. Please, <laughs> please, please, please. Uh, oh, but, well, the blurb now that everyone uses is see it on the biggest screen as you can. That's not really, that doesn't go for every movie, okay? You don't need to see every movie on the biggest screen you can. You're, you're fine if you don't for some of them. Yeah, no, I, but I don't think movie theaters are going to go away. Maybe like the theaters that, you know, have 25 different screenings will. Um, yeah, but that's what I mean. That's we're what in I mean. A, we're in a, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, we're, I, I, we haven't even talked about television. I, I, I probably cover more television these days than movies, believe it or oh. not, because I, I do so right. much work for the Television Academy. Um, but we are truly, truly, truly in a golden age of television, much more so than movies. So it's going in the wrong direction. And, and a movie like Bullet Train, as much as I love that cast, everyone in that cast is so talented. You know, uh, you know, if you there's for you've got Bullet Train or you've got, you know, 20 different options, even just on Hulu alone, that are such different kinds of different kind of quality of different level of quality. That absolutely. you don't feel like it's a, it's a cash grab. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. A um, couple more quick fun thing. By the way, I think I'm a really shitty interviewer because I always do this thing. I'm like, question number two, let's move on. <laughs> Dick Cavett didn't do that. I get it. It's fine. I'm still waiting for you know the therapy to kick in, but go Here ahead. A couple more things before we wrap up. I love the fact that you work for team people. 
And, and this is my I, favorite. I, yes, I love the fact that I work for team people too. <laughs> I'm sure you did. And the best thing is, like, what is it? I'm the girl who subscribed to 18 different team magazines and hung up posters of cute idols on my purple walls. Indeed I did. Who were those idols? Well, obviously Michael J. Fox. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I loved, he became a crazy Christian. I loved Kirk Cameron. Honestly, yeah. I loved Growing Pains. I loved the Corys, Corey Haim, Corey Feldman. Um, geez, who else from that era? Oh gosh. Um, Johnny Depp, of course, uh-huh. is from that era. Yep. Oh gosh. I, it's hard off the top of my head who in the eighties, <laughs> who, who had like a, who was like a cute, like non-threatening boy in the eighties, like Ricky new kids Schroeder? were a little, new, who? Ricky Schroeder. Yeah. I, I don't know. I was like more of like the dark haired type than Ricky uh. Schroeder. Um, yeah, um, probably definitely Michael J. Fox and Kirk were my one were my one and two with a bullet. Um, <laughs> not so. Oh, Jason Bateman, like a oh, young yeah. Jason Bateman. I loved, I loved, yeah. loved, loved him. Yeah, for yeah, sure. So, yeah, yeah. I also kind of loved. Um, I don't know. Like I even like if, like way 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 in age inappropriate. But I loved. I remember like thinking Michael Keaton was like so. I was so enamored by him and like those eighties comedies, like the eyebrows and like, I yeah. still have like a thing about Michael Keaton. Yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah, so no, but though, but definitely I subscribe to all of those teen Mac. I mean, even, I mean, I didn't put them on my wall, but I also love like De- De- Debbie Gibson and oh, yeah. Tiffany, oh, yeah. Alyssa Milano, <laughs> like right. all those cool girl- girls who were like cooler than I was. So I was very much into that. New Kids was a shade younger than me. So I wasn't so much into New Kids, but um, yeah. So I always wanted to work at a teen magazine. Actually, my favorite was Sassy. I don't know if you remember Sassy, Sassy magazine. The rock 90s thing. Yeah. Oh my God. I love Sa- that. That magazine shaped me more than anything else. I love the, the writing, the conversational writing style of Sassy Magazine. I love that they did interviews and with celebrities and said what the celebrities were really like. It wasn't so sanitized by the PR team. And I thought like if, if I could somehow write like that for a living and about famous people, like I want to do that. So that was a huge influence on me with Sassy. However, Sassy Magazine folded. YM folded, Teen folded, all the magazines I love folded. Teen People came along in the late 90s. I remember seeing a segment on it when I was in college and thinking like I would be really good at that magazine. I love People magazine. I love the teen culture. WB was really popping at the time. Mm-hmm. Dawson's Creek um, and, and Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. And I mean, I was sticking out 21, 22 years old. So I, it was a dream. It wasn't my first job out of college. It was my second, but it was a dream to work on the 35th floor of Time Inc. every single day. I just, I never got over it. There were celebrities coming in all the time. Mm -hmm. I interviewed like a lot of very famous actors now back when they were like children, basically. I interviewed Anne Hathaway on a school bus. Swear to God. Yep. Anne Hathaway was on a school bus in high school. Yep. Oh my God. Yep. So, um, yeah. So that I, I went out to lunch with Scarlett Johansson when she was 16 years old and living with her parents downtown, um, <laughs> at a coffee shop, like very, very, very young stars before they were famous. Beyonce, yeah. the list goes on and on. So 
I, I left I left Team People to work at Us Weekly in 2002. That was almost 20 years, a little over 20 years ago. I'm still very deeply affiliated with with Us Weekly and the movie part. Sure. Nothing else with Us Weekly, but um, yeah, it's been it's been a it's it's been more of a straight line than the typical journalist for sure. But it's been very fun. Absolutely incredible. I, I love that passion, that feeling you have. If I'm not mistaken, that building is 30 Rock, right? Time? It's not 30 Rock. It's uh, not. It's the time. It's the timing building. 30 Rock is across the street. It's still part of Rock Center. Time Inc. is no more. The building is no more. Oh. It's Time Inc. I thought like I'll never leave Time Inc. Time Inc. is the best. This is where I want to be. The fact that that uh, company is gone is uh, crazy. That's journalism is really in a sad state right now, but that's another podcast. Probably is. I would imagine. So here we go. Yeah, it um, is. Here, here's a quick therapy question. The therapy question is after all that time, when you were working on, uh, when you were going around the country, around the world, rather, oh, it's survivor. What did you learn? If you could pull away one or two lessons from that entire experience, what would it be? I mean, definitely that I should apply bug spray more often and sunscreen. That would be number one. I had to get like a laser treatment on my chest because it was such, I was like had pre-skin cancer. Yeah. So that would be number one, health matters. I also got extremely ill from Survivor Guatemala from drinking the uh, uh, from brushing my teeth with the water, I was sick. I was hospitalized all summer. Lost a ton of weight. Uh, I, I thought I was going to die. Um, so definitely, don't brush your teeth with water, especially in the jungles of Central America. Apply sunscreen at all times. Health is wealth. So that would be number one. I know it's not a sexy answer, but you know when you're in the ER with an IV hooked up and you're thinking, why the hell did I not? Why did I? Why was I thinking brushing my teeth? That's most important. Um, I know you're looking for some deep existential thing, but listen, I, I like I said, I I grew up in the suburbs of Detroit. I, my family and I didn't really travel so much, and you become very sheltered and unaware about the world around you and. Sure being everywhere again from from Africa to Samoa to Panama to Nicaragua to um you know Palau and the Cook Islands I mean the list goes on you just see other parts of the world and opens mm-hmm. your eyes to it um for for sure yeah 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 it's it's an it's a miracle you know I I went like I mentioned earlier I went around the world uh kind of at least so Europe and uh Southeast Asia and yeah, you do. You kind of go, oh, right. There's a world, especially Southeast Asia, because you're like, my problems are not quite as bad as the people's out here. Uh, <laughs> it is very true. I mean, honestly, it, it, re-entry after Survivor was always tough. It was always tough going back to that office and sitting at my desk and looking at a computer. And they, I remember thinking, like, I'm not really living uh, this way. You know, I mean, <laughs> I am. It, it is a living. But when you're really out there and I, this is why Jeff still does it, you know, 20 some years later is because you are, you, you know, it's the ultimate DIY, like the ultimate, you know, do it yourself and, and seeing and doing and being out in the elements. And, you know, again, like a couple of times I, I, right. There were hotels, schmotels, and we were in freaking tents, uh, including Jeff, Jeff got uh, butt bugs one year that I was there, like the conditions are terrible sometimes. And you're just like, I can't believe like, you know, I'm in my forties and I'm doing this. It's really crazy when, and listen, it's fun. I, we didn't even, listen, we didn't even get to that. I've, I've interviewed like 
like hundreds and hundreds of celebrities. It's, and, and I never, I, I love, I love it. It's a really fun part of the job. But after a while, you know, you become a, it's, you, you become a little bit jaded. Not, uh-huh. not a lot, a little bit jaded. Uh-huh. Going to Survivor, um, it's impossible to get jaded because it's such an unbelievable experience. My friend and I used to joke a trip of a lifetime that we've taken 16 times, you know, like <laughs> each one was seemed like a trip of a lifetime that you could not believe we were here. Have you ever thought about writing a book about this? Um, no, because I feel like honestly, nobody cares. And it's not, um, I, I will burn too many. Okay. Yeah. Nobody cares is like a, a blanket <laughs> self-deprecating statement. The honest answer other than that, which I don't think it would sell, would be A, I'd be spilling too many secrets. I'm yeah. still in the industry True. and I'm not willing to burn all the bread. Listen, I spent a significant time with Donald Trump um, oh. around oh. The Apprentice. We didn't even get to that either. I've spent oh. time with him and Melania. I can't talk about that in a book. Nope. Um, nope. So, I, I, you know, I, 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 celebra- I know a lot where the bodies are buried with certain celebrities and things they've told me. That's what sells books, but I'm not willing to give up my soul to sell books. I'm not willing to cut open a vein on my personal life, uh, my professional life, sell out my coworkers, which is what you need to do for any book to sell these days. So I'm not willing to do it. My reputation is too important to me. And the other thing in terms of writing a book, I just don't really have the attention span for it at any given time. I'm working on like five to 10 things. I, I think that's what happens when you work at Us Weekly for 15 years in the office is that you kind of like are focused on one project and then it's done, it's off your plate and you move on to the next thing. And that's how I like it. I like just keeping it fresh all the time and to be on a laptop writing about myself every day. I, I, I honestly, like, it sounds like torture to me. It's <laughs> much right. more fun sharing stories um, like this. And being popular at parties, not that I leave my apartment anymore, but that to me, I much would rather do that. Never say never, but I have zero plans to, to write a book. Fair enough. Uh, but just one last suggestion. If you ever decide to do one, you can use my name as a pseudonym, uh, pseudonym and all that too. <laughs> I don't care. Fine. Um, okay. Duly noted. Okay. Just mark that on your calendar. Thank yeah. you so, so, so much for doing this interview. I, I, so here's the way I end these things. I am. We're going to pretend to uh, say goodbye. It involves acting. A little bit of acting involved. So put on your game face. I'm going to All say right. goodbye. You're going to say goodbye. I'm going to pretend, uh, pretend to hang up, and then we're going to chat a bit after, like a goodbye thing. Deal? Okay. All right. Here we go. Uh, right. My turn first. Mara, th- thank you. Honestly, thank you, Mara. So- Mara, God damn it! Fuck. I was almost there. Um, thank you so much for doing this. Honestly, it was just such an absolute blast. I think you're brilliant. I think you're a really, really nice person. I truly do mean that. Oh my gosh, thank you. That's like the nicest compliment. No one ever says that I'm nice. So thank oh. you. <laughs> so your turn to say goodbye. I get a lot of other adjectives, but never <laughs> nice. So thank you. Oh, there you go. So your turn to say goodbye. Thank you, Jeff, so much. This was so fun walking down memory lane. Um, I'm glad you know you didn't charge me for the therapy session. Nope. And it re- thank you very, very much for having me on, sincerely. All right, we're going to pretend to hang up and then hang tight. I am three, two, goodbye, everybody. Click.